We should just chat a shit about music if we run out of material, quite frankly. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what that's what we're going to be doing a lot of. But I think Hunky Dory, reviewed by Matt Ford, was an early one. I've never heard some of these albums. I've never heard that album, as far as I'm aware. I must have missed that one on my, my run through the thing. Very I'm, I'm early. Always up for dunking on Matt Ford. <laughs> yeah. What, well, what, what week was? Like number five or four? Yeah, week number five. five. Yeah, yeah. Front. Oh first right, page, like, way back. February 2015. Let's peep this. Let's peep this shit now. His head's not quite as inflated as it is. Now. <laughs> like, he's got a fucking the... party hat on. Why? Jesus. They concluded in 2016 with J.K. Rowling. Yeah, but they'd already like finished it, and then like, the the. The one before that's the Hitchens one, and they're like, "This is the last one," you know, oh. the end of the project. So they've clearly like, "Oh wow, we've got a guest so good, we've got to bring it back." <laughs> but like, that's why I was saying about like them having all the like every danger from Scott Paul commentary, including again three members of the band Fat Cops. <laughs> My theory is that they were gearing up this entire project to like try and get J.K. Rowling on. <laughs> and of course, in the four years or so they were running it, her reputation has tanked by her just being herself, basically, <laughs> and having horrendous views. I think it's very funny that they made her listen to the Violent Femmes. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that record. Is it good? It's a good, it's just, a good record, yeah. I mean, just, I've just for the, fact, a long of the, time, just for like the fact of the band name and the subsequent events, mm. you know? But <laughs> <laughs> I remember a great tweet from the early days that said, um, every Violent Femmes record has Blister in the Sun on it. And as far as I know, that's true. <laughs> no, no, no violent men in bathrooms for Violent Femmes. Am I right, my fellow gender criticals? <laughs> she also claims to like white light, white heat, which I just don't believe. Sorry. God. Sorry to be a gatekeeping cunt, but I don't believe you. You're a loaded person of anything. <laughs> J.K. Rowling gives her top three albums as number one, Revolver by the Beatles, number two, Broken English by Marianne Faithfull. That's a great album, I think. It is really cool. With J.K. Rowling, her third one is number three, Changes Daily. Yesterday it was White Light, White Heat by The Velvet Underground. Today it's Hosier by Hosier. <laughs> so I'd say there's two sort of different, slightly different records, but I feel that's why she's listing those two. It's a kind, of, it's like a pop to Miss Flex. It's like you know right, I right. like both the heavy shit. And I tried um, to explain to my mother who Hosier was the other day, and usually she's very up to date with pop culture, especially music, but she just didn't know who it was. And I even sang the little song. <laughs> she was like, no, no, no I don't recognize that the it. They took our jobs bit from South Park. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. That's what he sounds like, though. He sounds like a fucking squawky little man. I don't know. Uh, have they never had I've you subtitling South Park? Uh, no, actually. I don't think it's ever <laughs> been... What channel is it on? I don't know. It used to be Channel 4, didn't it, when people cared about yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Comedy Central. Comedy Central. That's, we it, do that's what it airs on in but America. Like, but yeah, I, I guess it must not have shown on there for ages. We do The Simpsons sometimes, but yeah. I try and avoid it, mm. because who wants to see new Simpsons? Oh my god, I would fucking hate that. Anyway, like we're, go we're going too far on. Opposing the, the government and opposing the Conservatives, I'm afraid it's the hard left who want to tighten their control. They want to uh, sideline uh, moderate voices. I don't think anybody should be surprised about that is the nature of the hard left. And of course we know that the hard left famously cannot tolerate any who dissent. What's it? Well, we know who the hard left are, who associate with the hard left. You just said that we were all right, right wing. The hard left agenda, printing money, 
nationalisation without compensation, sort of hard left wing position, hard sort of left, the hard 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 left, hard left, hard left, the hard left, the hard left, 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 Let's let's actually like get into what we're talking about. Oh, you about mean we today. have a topic? Yeah, we, we have, have a topic. Fixed. <laughs> we topic have a topic bullshit. today. We are talking about. Let's keep an eye on my various phone batteries. Okay, no worries. Fire on. We are talking today on Real Politics about Ruth and Martin's album club, which was a regular. I guess it was sort of weekly for a while. You, you sort of have an average of four per month. An early Twitter phenomenon. Yeah, an early Twitter phenomenon, and it was a blog on Tumblr. Real, really like fast forwarding, not fast forwarding, the opposite, rewinding a few years to uh, the mid twenty tens. The gold, you know, the golden days of blogging and Twitter, where people of all different types of like minor celebrity <laughs> and media presence and politics of a political affiliation, not political ideology. We're all best buddies on Twitter. There's something weird about it being on, on Tumblr and yet written by and mostly guested on by people who would use a Tumblr blog as a, a punchline at the time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was actually really surprised that Graham Linehan never appeared because he is like almost... Mm in his pre completely losing his mind like yes. era he was like one of the main socialite gadflies of light he, he entertainment loved twitter, twitter. And he was <laughs> evangelical about twitter as a great thing and because of his former status as a sitcom writer back when he used to do that mm. he's probably as well as being mates with half the dickheads on here at the time probably quite a lot of the others would have been like yeah i like him so yeah, yeah it is exactly. He's not on that. Yeah, if you... he is also himself a boring music journalist. That's his origin story. Well, there yeah, you go. So... Yeah, he wrote for Sounds and Select and all select. that kind of shit extensively for Select. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, Ruth and Martin's crap, but... album club was an album review, as as it would suggest. They'd have a different person on the blog each week to review a record that they'd never heard before. I guess Ruth and Martin are a couple, and. Roof appears like in the first one. The very first guest on the blog is not in fact a guest. It is Martin Fitzgerald, who I believe is the titular Martin. But um, it's Martin reviewing Bruce Springsteen's Darkness on the Edge of Town. And Roof does like three paragraphs in that one. So I'm not entirely sure as to Roof's involvement in it. I may. I was gonna say I have I have read through a bit and I cannot see much of Roof she's at all. in it, is she? Yeah, she's like the avatar or figurehead for the Enterprise. Maybe. Maybe Roof isn't married to Martin, or maybe she is. But maybe she's the old woman with the Jesus and Mary chain <laughs> record in the picture that they use. <laughs> Maybe they divorced like five weeks in and they just didn't want to come up with a new acronym for rap. <laughs> She's like, look, it would be more awkward to rebrand than it would be to just keep doing it without my involvement. <laughs> so just That would be very, very Blue Tech Dinner Party Twitter vibe, wouldn't it? You know? um, yeah. Maybe, maybe she had a vision of like, there's going to be a, a cash-in Christmas stocking full of books seven years from now and I want my name kept on it for royalties, thanks. Yeah, I like they, the they idea did that it's like, that yeah. book. 
They did put out yeah. a stocking filler uh, book based on that's this. That's right. I think it was after the blog finished or something. Mm. Or it must be towards the end of it anyway. I think it's described as being on hiatus or something of that nature. It's. I, I think the last we... thing I read gave me the... It was like, we're going to go on pause for a bit, so... Can't hack it. Read... 75 uh, editions, uh, like, pathetic. The, the, the Twitter account <laughs> that, um, that, that was used to essentially promote it is gone. Like, it's been yeah. deleted at some point. I oh reckon God. that's because Martin did a bunch of cranky, angry Corb... Sorry, cr- like, angry anti-Corbin tweets, and then people piled on him, and he was like, fuck this, I'm quitting. Because I just... I, yeah, I, I just... we've got no evidence for it, but it's just usually the case. So I, like, I vaguely have it in my head that at one point the Twitter account was used to opine on political matters. I can't remember what specifically, but I was listening to as research for this episode just a 50 minute or so uh into no it's about an, an hour interview so about 15 minutes into this hour-long conversation about ruth and martin's album club martin couldn't contain himself any longer and he just moaned you can't say anything about jeremy corbyn on twitter these days or as the kids say r.i.p your mentions why do you put yourself through these things? Deep Jack? research. Also, I needed something <laughs> to listen to while I smoked the zoot that wasn't just another Grateful Dead show. I ended up finishing it and just listening to myself on Sinan's stream. Just, you know, going up and being like, damn, I've really gotten there. But, um, but yeah. I you should have listened to an album you'd never heard before in the spirit of things. <laughs> Absolutely not. Listen to a Grateful Dead show I've never heard before. That's the compromise that I, I, I'd be willing to make. <laughs> okay, fine. I'll branch out listen to a different artist listen to the jerry garcia band all right fine (laughs) (laughs) bob weir's rat dog (laughs) rat dog is like the single most unappealing name of any band it just like just sounds (laughs) disgusting (laughs) yeah okay (laughs) counterpoint drenge Drench, okay, yeah. Oi, Those three should do a co-headlining tour. It's like pleasantly all... named groups tour. <laughs> just everyone in the audience just like vomiting every time the announcer comes on stage. Just like this time going on last, it's Drench, and the cleaning staff are all like, "Oh fuck!" <laughs> oh man, I was I was talking the other day. This is irrelevant. Sorry, cut it if you want. But like, I was. Telling um, my sister about the time the Dave Matthews band dropped eight thousand pounds of shit onto a tour boat on the Chicago River. That is very funny, but we talked about that the last time you came on the show. <laughs> did we? <laughs> Fuck. Yeah, we did. Yeah. I'm gonna say that every time I come on, man. That, that... It is a great story. Right, cut that then. Fuck it. Where were Are you gonna before? introduce me at any point? By oh the way? yeah, we, 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 yeah. We, well, that's why. Well, because we keep getting this sidetracked. Is a, this, is a, this, is a non, this is a non-linear podcast. We've got three fuckers on here that just ramble on and on. Sirkov's no orders. Chance. I'm afraid we cannot keep going in a straight line. But I got like... my shit propped up on a can and it keeps falling over. So apologies <laughs> for that. I just wanted to explain what what we're talking about before we 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 then yeah. introduce our. Should, rest... should probably highlight as well. Sarah was going to appear on this episode. Episode, but was busy and couldn't so we're now all unconsciously trying to make this as hard to edit as possible <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah exactly when Disso goes off topic <laughs> that's revenge. Sarah's fucking problem yeah. sorry mate <laughs> <laughs> but um nah we all go off topic but so we're talking about Ruth and Martin's album club because it's a really interesting little snapshot of a different time on twitter this was before partisan divisions were really drawn like i considered asking juliet jakes to come on the show because she actually 
did an edition of Ruth and Martin's album club, but I thought that that might in some way compromise <laughs> her impartiality. <laughs> so, so I thought I will instead, also it was very short notice, this is like the quickest we've ever put together an episode. We were like, yesterday, should we do this? And today decided we would. Let's do the show right here. But Juliet tweeted that the Ram Album Club is a very strange relic from that moment just before the awkward centrist leftist truce fell apart. Some very odd combinations of person slash album as well as an overall guest list that's unimaginable now. Ahem, she says, obviously. She's right. Alluding to the fact she yep. was on there, as well as we're gonna other, have to tease out some of the other implications of that. Other left wingers who, again, I want to introduce the show before we get more into that. But people who have listened to the show for a long time will remember the episodes that Juliet did, where she talked about her experience writing within the liberal press and work, episode, working for I the think, new did statesman. Did I edit one of those? Yeah, yeah, you did. I think uh, I I think. Did. And, it yeah, was and, excellent and, stuff working with Helen Lewis and so on. And so that's why this is this strange thing where you get Juliet in the same kind of place as Helen Lewis, because that wasn't such an anomaly at the time. Yeah, um, the battle lines were really kind of drawn with Corbyn, huh? Yeah, exactly. And on trans rights, maybe things... I think this was actually just when things were getting really intense on... A little bit of fractious, on yeah. On trans yeah, rights, and the... people like Sarah Ditton, who was also a guest on the Ram Album Club, were getting kind of radicalised. Oh, I think they already were by this point. Certainly Helen Lewis and people like that. Like, but someone like that... J.K. Rowling had I was just you thinking know? about so when... Rowling. Like, was I annoyed at the time? Yeah. Was well, I she was in the process the time of just being... for poor writing? She, she may have liked a couple of dodgy tweets or followed a couple of dodgy people at that point, but she certainly had plausible deniability back in 2015, 16, whatever. Yeah, but, yeah. But, but essentially, they were in a place where they could have both, like, Sarah Ditton and a trans leftist on their blog. And also, it's a time when blogs were a big thing. Everyone is deleting their blogs or letting them go dormant now. I was social media at this time. Podcasts. <laughs> yeah, absolutely same. I mean, Ruth and Martin's Album Club would be a podcast if it started now, and it mm -hmm. would not have Juliet Jakes or Emily Reynolds or whatever on it. I think we've, we've pretty much explained the concept. Each week, different guests, generally political journalists each week one of the people who you were made to follow by default when you first joined twitter as a uk person in 2010 would come on yeah and i was kind of saying like well how were they so well connected and one <laughs> of you guys was just like well that's just like what twitter was one minute you follow al murray the pub landlord and the next minute right, you're, you're, right. you're close personal friends with all of the fat cops <laughs> The fat For cops is his band, okay? I'm not <laughs> I'm not just calling him a fat He's cop. He's not just being fatphobic against the police. No, yeah, like, I remember setting my mum up with a Twitter account when she was, like, briefly experimenting with it, and I think they basically, like, you followed Stephen Fry by default. That was the yeah, first yeah, man. Yeah. He was, like, the patron saint of UK Twitter for the first bit for a while there. Uh, you, you had the Linehan axis. Yeah. He was actually, you know, before his spectacular fall from <laughs> reasonable humanoidness, he was a fucking <laughs> big draw on early 2010s Twitter. Yeah, I, yeah. I joined, I think I joined in, in 09, first of all. That's my story. I joined initially to promote my rap group, and I had a joint account with the other rapper. And we just used to post total bullshit. Actually, that's the one I'm using at the moment. <laughs> it's grandfathered in from 2009 to get around the whole suspension thing. But yeah, no, that's that. We used to follow, and David Schneider, he was a big 
follow in the early days, people like that. All the kind of UK jokesmiths yeah. and journalists. At some hacks. point, he used to buy people's jokes off them or basically hire people to churn out viral content for him. It was bad. You, you, this weird stuff, like he would be tweeting, like, he's clearly not a football fan, and then he'd be tweeting out Emil Heskey is rubbish jokes about five years after Emil Heskey had any relevance. <laughs> it turns out it was Emil literally Femi writing like, his tweets after 2017. Yeah. He was one of the trendsetters of please retweet Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> and the Twitter joke trial. I was talking about that the other day. It was the days of the Twitter oh God, joke yeah. trial. Was As someone pointed out to me, once again, Keir Starmer was the villain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he put somebody on trial for a joke. What a burst! I'm gonna blow up that airport if the plane doesn't. It seems like such a different time, man. Not for Kia. He is right there. You know, he has not changed like one. He's like the zealot of bad decisions. Yeah. But a standard month for the Ram Album Club. Just to conclude our introduction, giving you the gist of what this was all about. August 2015, week 33. Scott Four by Scott Walker. Guest listener, Paul War. <laughs> Week 32, <laughs> Nevermind by Nirvana. Guest listener, Alex Massey. Tinny Week- cunt. <laughs> Week 31, Live at Folsom Prison by Johnny Cash, reviewed by Jane Merrick. <laughs> <laughs> and that then- sounds like a bit. Bonus Week 30, because they'd already done one in Week 30, they're double booked. Dark Side of the Moon by Pink Floyd, reviewed by Sarah Dittum. (laughs) We already mentioned that she contributed. That's a fucking hell month. I mean, even in that month... Why did they do two episodes on that day instead of just saving one for the next week? No discipline. There's even a little bit of uh, that kind of mid-2010s uneasy political coalition here, but it's not between the left and the right. It's between centrist Westminster people and... Tories like Alex Massey and I uh, you know I think that one has maybe persisted at least in the early Corbyn days I remember Alex Massey was very popular with a certain type of centrist anti-Corbyn person uh, well there's very a Sco- greasy man speak about there's a Scotland connection there seems to be like every dullard in Scottish politics is here mm. well speaking of uh, Scot- <laughs> dullards from Scottish politics <laughs> let's introduce our guests <laughs> You motherfucker! <laughs> yeah, sorry, I felt I felt really bad, but when I knew, I've been tr- up for that. No, no, I've been no, trying no. to like grasp onto a segue into introducing you for a few minutes. You now. should always uh, take that opportunity. That was great stuff. Go on. Sorry, Disso. I didn't mean it. <laughs> <laughs> we have got Tom Disso with us today. Hello, long-time member of the RP team. Edited number of episodes for us. Appeared on our. 200th episode also a musician producer just all around very creative person who has projects such as a whole wiki on christmas music yeah i've neglected it i have to say but i was reading about dylan's christmas record the other day which we can talk about at the end if you'd like Yeah, I mean, <laughs> so just looking at some guy Geraint in the top Intel group, like that guy from the Labour right and the sunglasses with the moustache, <laughs> the floral shirt. Very funny yeah. looking man. Just laughing at the guy before him who seems to have a monopoly on so the, all the eggs in the West Midlands. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, God, Matt, that's an unflattering selfie. No, sorry, I'm just kidding, Matt. Like, I don't mean <laughs> Matt's, Matt's very good looking. I don't want to imply that he looks like just a standard bald gammony gammon. Anyway, 
we have got Tom Disso with us here today, and we are very pleased to have him because he is, as we mentioned, a musician and producer, an all-round big music head. Say Award nominated for my album New York. Sounds more nice. impressive than it is because you just nominate yourself, but... <laughs> Nonetheless, I would have nominated you. Ah, <laughs> oh, cheers, lad. Oh, yeah, no. So there's a lot of these that I was browsing, and I have a vague memory of them from a Twitter before, from a before era on Twitter. And I was like, oh yeah, that's that journalist who used to be among the milieu in 2012 or whatever. And I've completely forgotten about until now. Yeah. Very time capsule esque. It's all 2015 to 16. The quintessential Ruth and Martin's album club format is fucking sneaky white guy from politics or political journalism reviews a hip-hop album <laughs> like there's a, there's really nothing more to it like aronovich reviewing the wu-tang clan tim farron reviewing nwa which one of those should we have a go at reading because for me those two are those are the quintessential ones as well as i think i mentioned earlier i don't know if we were recording but there was Stuart Wood reviewing Public Enemies. It takes a nation of millions to hold <laughs> us back. I'm not familiar with him. The What's It story is all you need to know. The other Ed Miliband staffers, so fucking neeks themselves, no yes, doubt, yes. Like, would take his Blackberry. He was the guy that other and, staffers would dunk his head down. And, and put it right. in a bag of cheesy What's It's because of his cheese allergy. Hush, <laughs> Ralph. So speaking of dairy products, let's do Tim Farron first. Fuck the police coming straight from Right. Straight out of Compton oh, by NWA. So this was week 70. This was right at the end of Ruth and Martin's tenure as music critics. So uh, this has basically like Martin explaining inner city violence in Los Angeles and telling the story of like Easy and Jerry Heller. I don't know. What do you guys think of like Martin's preambles to it's, the reviews? It's extremely like. Both because of the slightly gimmicky premise of the vlog, but the whole thing's extremely Q magazine from 20 years ago. Yes. <laughs> it's just all about the mythology, but also like the mythology as a sort of... Like, There's a lot of self-insert. The best currently existing equivalent to it, I think, is those readers' guides or whatever they call them that they do in The Guardian, where they take some minor event going on and they write it in a sort of... So what's all this about? Like a conversation with themselves yeah, eventually. Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> you're losing me. Sounds boring yeah, yeah. to me. Well, you'd uh, think, but actually... Yeah, right. Yeah, sort of <laughs> terrible forced humour. Both very serious in terms of like, here's the story I'm telling, but also not wanting to appear serious at any stage, you know? Omniscient narrator, uh, subjective opinions passed off as truth. I used to write like this. I got bored of it. Yeah, that's kind of the story of music journalism, right, isn't right, it? It's yeah, basically like obsolete itself. I gave up music know, in, writing in because I, I, I realised that I couldn't yeah. just be... Actually, this is a rare moment of earnestness. I was like, I can't fucking just dunk on people for no reason. You'd hear all these records that are just kind of semi-interesting, and you have to put in real effort to get something interesting out of that in terms of writing, and the easier, lazier route is just to go, oh, this is like something on drugs. 
for just to be just pointlessly cruel. And so I was like, man, I cannot be fucking bothered. It was like an early John Ronson in my head, like, don't publicly shame these artists like this, man. <laughs> when you and publicly he, and he was shame right. them, you publicly right. shaming yourself. Yeah, it's true. It's just there is a bias for needlessly antagonistic country in music journalism. Well, there Less was, so now, I think. but it certainly yeah. was in the 80s, 90s. In, in yeah, the, yeah. these guys' generation. Now you, can, now you can accept, young artists can go like, I listen to prog rock, I listen to new metal, completely unironically. I'm a without any kind of, Yeah, yeah, like there's no... <laughs> the old prejudices are gone. Which is really funny, actually, when looking through this blog, you can kind of see that in action, where you get... Mm. I think there's Quantic and there's the Mojo editor, and they're both of them listening to prog albums, and it really speaks to that thing, or it was completely unacceptable to say that you liked anything that wasn't punk on that side of the divide, and the music press... Like, the way that the Cardiacs were blacklisted. For combining yeah. the two, which is the ultimate sin. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I didn't read any of those because they bore me. I don't want to hear some old punk guys moaning on about how their prejudices about Prague were true all along. It's 2021, man. You were talking about Martin's intros and someone on Twitter, my friend on Twitter was commenting on this blog generally and saying often for him that the intro reviews were the best part of it and like the guests could be somewhat disappointing. And mm. in, in fact, for me, it's the complete opposite. <laughs> for me, it's like yeah. when you look up a recipe and you have to wade through fucking six paragraphs of the guy's caravan holiday before you get to the fucking three bean salad, man. <laughs> Come on. Let's read the Tim Farron NWA review. <laughs> he says, NWA Straight Out of Compton is a classic album. One of those albums you must listen to before you die. <laughs> so... Question number one is, given that I am a self-proclaimed music nerd, why did I never buy this record, and why have I never knowingly listened to it all the way through before? Well, I'm not completely sure. Maybe there's only so many hours in the day and you can't listen to everything. Maybe rap is not my thing. But then again, I bought, love, and still listen to Della Soul's Three Feet High and Rising. But Della Soul are safe and cuddly, so maybe Straight Outta Compton is too edgy, sweary, violent and misogynistic for a tame chap like me. Actually, that might well be it. But perhaps the main reason is that I felt it wasn't me. Are you going to do the whole read as George Formby? <laughs> That's my impression of Tom's impression of Tim Farron. Hey! <laughs> he says, no, oh, not you. Sorry, other Tom. He says, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> forgive me. <laughs> forgive me. Fine, I'll do my own voice. But I've always had a problem <laughs> with David Cameron saying that he likes the Smiths, in particular that he likes The Queen is Dead. You went into government with him, you cunt. Is he trying to gatekeep David Cameron? <laughs> <laughs> Fucking, Morrissey's uh, for us libs, sorry. Tim Farron was the one lib dem. MP who voted to go coalition, go into coalition with the government, but he was what, coalition. Like, <laughs> to go coalition with 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 the Tories. But Pokemon coalition to the polls. But he was also the only MP from the Lib Dem benches not to vote for tuition fees. But anyway, he said, I don't want to be an inverse snob, but the Smiths do not sing to David Cameron about anything in his life at all. What Morrissey sings cannot possibly resonate with him. <laughs> Maybe some of the stuff Morrissey sings now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a northern working-class bloke, an angsty 1980s teenager. The Smiths say plenty to me about my life. Now, 
For some music, that doesn't matter. Even fairly avant-garde or ground... Fucking hell, he's going on a load here about life experiences and bollocks. But NWA have a simmering ideology. A boiling one, even. They speak about their lives. They share their identity. There is a fury in this album which is as authentic and sincere as it is foul-mouthed and misogynistic. The hedging is bets there. But I'm not straight out of Compton. I am straight out of Preston. Oh, and what I knew about Straight NWA... Out of Preston, you fucking Irish. No. Out of Preston? Is, is out that... of Preston. <laughs> Straight out of Preston, fuck. Uh, is that they said little to me about my life, which is absolutely okay, but I simply, in my over-earnest way, felt that I would be insincere, inauthentic, a wannabe, a fake, if I got into NWA. So I listened to all the Madchester stuff instead, as documented in the play Tim Peake's Farrant Walk With Me. It's such a weird, fucking, unimaginative way of looking at music to me. Yeah. Like, sorry, not to interrupt the flow or anything, but I agree. it sounds like a you problem if you can't get something out of NWA, man. It's like saying you can't get something well, out of Shakespeare because he's too old. Well, he me. thought that he might not be able to get something Any out fucking of NWA. Way. But... I'm, yeah, I'm he... jumping the gun, or lagging behind the gun go on of the album straight out of compton tim farron says it's a good piece of work Uh. to misquote public enemy you can believe the hype this is an important (sighs) and influential album but it is also a great musical accomplishment it's full of energy sincerity and lyrical intelligence it's also pretty funky Decent tunes. It's got a good beat. <laughs> I love, I love, I I love this like cack-handed attempt at it's praising hip hop. Trendy like, He's not, he's not wrong. All of the stuff he's saying is true about the album. I think, but the tunes are funky. <laughs> it's just, it, yeah, it's it it, it 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 sounds like you know he could be this could be a politician's triangulation possibly. Right, as I was gonna um, say, did, did like one of his aides draft this? <laughs> The last track, Something to Dance To, is preceded by several other tracks that you can most certainly dance to. <laughs> this, is, this is so... I must have <laughs> been thinking of this when writing his dialogue for the play. Should, this is should very write, Farron voice. You should pepper it with Mr. Speaker every now and then. <laughs> in fact, <laughs> listening to the album, I have flashbacks of being at university in Newcastle dancing to a few of these in particular track four it ain't rough which has a knowingly jazzy feel to it knowingly jazzy <laughs> my my favorite jazz is is knowing jazz <laughs> like a sort of winking at you saying you know uh, you and i are in on a little secret and that secret <laughs> is jazz, jazz. <laughs> flash of the saxophone give me a go we're, at we're... this give me a go at this next paragraph yeah. Much of the rap that I'd listened to in the 80s, Mr. Speaker, was about the samples <laughs> that underpinned the rap as much as the words themselves. This album is well produced. It's full of good tunes, clever <laughs> mixes, but the words are king. Capitalised king. <laughs> the words are Elvis Presley. <laughs> <laughs> All music is derivative. There's nothing new under the sun. But my first impression is that the lyrical focus of this album owes more to Gil Scott Heron than to earlier rap artists. <laughs> Only Gil it's Scott just... Heron didn't swear so often. He appeared to respect <laughs> women, and he had a few solutions to the problems he identified. 
And now, Mr. Speaker, I sound like my dad. <laughs> I'm not Get saying out. that Gil Scott Heron was not brilliant, but I bet there's like some 70s gender politics on his records, like given that he was a man in the 70s, you know? He had a, he had a tr- well, he had a track on one of the earlier records called The Subject Was F for F Slurs. Oh, the homophobic okay. well, but, slur. Well, he which would is have got on very well much with what it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just like straight out there. Whoa, okay. Oh man, my favourite bit in Straight Out of Compton, the NWA movie, is when like Jerry Heller is like, this shit that they're saying about me, it's anti-Semitism. That's all it is. It's just anti-Semitism. And like all the NWA guys in it are just like, yo, what's (laughs) (laughs) anti-Semitism? And it's like so clear that the movie was produced by, uh, well, Dr. Dre and Ice Cube. I was going to say the surviving members of NWA, but I mean the rich members of Some NWA. Of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how much creative input MC Ren had in the Straight Out of Compton film, despite his considerable contributions to the album. He concludes this paragraph Now I sound like my dad. <laughs> George Formby. (laughs) So let's get my criticisms out of the way. The swearing is ridiculous. It sounds like a pastiche of itself. I couldn't help laughing at it. Thinking to myself of Chris Morris's Uzi lover from Brass Eye, or even the appallingly toilet-mouthed rude kid from the pages of Viz. Worst of all is the way in which women are spoken of. The language is more than misogynistic. It is a blanket treatment of women as sex objects and nothing more. Some will say that we have to accept this as social realism and all that. And again, I don't doubt their sincerity. But to be angry against society and authority, or to celebrate hedonism, does not need to bring with it such a loveless, graceless, and damaging assault on womankind. Like... I mean, there were people saying that at the time. Yeah, he's hedging his bets between, like, he goes down a few paragraphs, and like, and I should point out, as much as I admire Easy e Dr. Dre, and Ice Cube, the liberal Democrats take a rather different position to them on law and order. <laughs> and then he goes on to say, that may all sound pretty damning, but on balance, I have to say I like the record. He's doing a very kind of Alan Partridge-esque yeah. hedging between, like, Tipper Gore and fucking received wisdom, I guess. This is incredibly Partridge, yeah. The opening burst of the title track, Fuck the Police and Gangster Gangster, leave you very clear over what these guys are about. <laughs> self referent <laughs> I wish this was a podcast, man. The, the thing is, though, a lot of what Could he's saying... Can you imagine saying... him reading this out? He's actually, like, not wrong. I mean, like, these are all very obvious surface-level observations, but they're not, like, wrong. Like, those three tracks, all one after the other, at the start of the record, does leave it very clear what these guys are about. (laughs) In fact, more than most of the other songs on Straight Outta Compton, which kind of, like, run out of steam a bit. I I guess what I would question is... Does anyone actually still consider Straight Outta Compton a classic album? Because what this seems to me is like a very kind of, again, very 80s, 90s hacks opinion of what is important. Like Ibonics to English translation kind of thing. I don't think anyone really listens to Straight Outta Compton still. You could make a different case for Public Enemy or whatever. I mean, they made that film, I guess. (laughs) Maybe Maybe that boosted the fucking streaming revenues or whatever. 
there must be an appetite for it, but then, like, Ice Cube and Dr. Dre are big celebrities, regardless of whether people are bumping straight out of Compton. Indeed, so, like... so, I mean, but Dre did his own, Dre did at least two other subsequent classics. People still bump yeah. the Chronic and, and Ice Cube made like, Ice Cube mm. made No Vaseline, which was really impressive, given he hadn't even <laughs> heard of anti-Semitism. <laughs> <laughs> it occurred to me that, I don't know, like, I think the reception of Straight Outta Compton has moved on from the assumption that these guys made by nominee, or when nominee. Yeah, I, I think, be, I I think might be wrong about that. a lot of the treatment it gets is almost kind of like this, like, neaky white guy. I mentioned that music of the Millennium poll from Channel 4, and I think if you look that up, a lot of this stuff, it's as if they're going off a chart made in 99, with the exception of that Sun Kill Moon and stuff. A couple of others. Tim says that NWA's music is self-referential, dramatic backdrops, fresh, brave, resonant of early punk, which is, I, I think, very telling. Like, <sighs> kind of Hip-hop is like punk, is it? You. Man, there's... I. There's some fucking fresh opinions on this blog as yeah, well. Yeah, like, like I'm saying, so so surface level, uh, and like hedonism with a bit of nihilism, and no sheep bass lines. What? No. Like, NWA have some really funky bass lines. I don't know if they're like... Would you say they're redolent of Nile Rodgers' production style? Lines, Sugar, <laughs> Hill. Sugar Hill had sheep bass lines. I don't think anyone was doing that by the early 90s. NWA always had like live instrumentation, though. Like Dr. Dre would always get like some crack session bassist in to like make it actually that bit funkier. Sure, um, yeah, yeah. So again, like I don't know what he's getting at there. So he says, The rest of the album focuses again heavily on the rhymes and the lyrical content. <laughs> Just like algorithm reviews a hip hop album. Ice Cube's rant <laughs> Ice Cube's rant against women in I Ain't the One contains the delightful line addressed to his female companion, I got what I want, now beat it, which I suppose makes this track the closest thing NWA get to a tender love song. I cannot stand this brand of smug white man irony writing about hip hop man. It fucking gets on my tits. We're going to go straight after this onto an even worse hip-hop review, though, so just yeah, like, stay I tuned. Yeah, biding my time. It's like that thing where you, it's like, it's one of my least favorite kind of jokes in, like, kind of English culture is where you, like, refer to yourself ironically as very normal and unglamorous in comparison to those hip-hop guys with their guns oh, and yeah. bitches. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> it, 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 it's disguised as you're making yourself the butt of the joke, but really it's not. It's just about othering that. It's yeah. the othering that... And it really fucking pisses me off just because of how insidious it is. It was it's, so yeah. endemic, late 2000s, wasn't it's it? It's the driving like, force behind everywhere. all those kind of stupid ukulele covers of rap songs. Like, look how, yeah. look how fucking ironic I am doing the kind of big, scary black man song, but in a kind of twee English folk way. Fuck off, man. So Ain't much it. of it comes down to just like, why can't you speak proper English? It is. It's just like, <laughs> it's just like sneering minstrel show shit. Yeah. It's, it's David Starkey with a couple of layers of separation. You know, he's obsessed with how different people talk and he hates all sorts of sort of street dialects and that, you know? <laughs> yeah, 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 it's yeah. just it's the much, idea like yeah. they're choosing to corrupt our, our English language like this. Yeah. Well, how would they like it if we corrupted their language? <laughs> <laughs> but you're going to hear the next review and think, wow, Tim Farron is a Tim remarkably a positively... astute and fair-minded hip-hop critic. Yeah. <laughs> I actually, before we go on to the next main one earlier on in this episode because I, I said i hadn't seen the matt ford one and yeah. i sort of read the matt ford one 
it's worse than you would expect. He's doing Monkey Dory by David Bowie. Oh, no. So you get the usual preamble from uh, Martin. From Martin. Actually, I read the preamble. He was like, Ooh, yeah. Rick Wakeman well, contributed know. to this record, and it's actually good, and I'm scared, but I like that. Not many people know this, but Martin's surname is actually Watplington. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he was using the ad revenue from this Tumblr blog to eat out at pricey diners every day just in the hope of getting <laughs> political gossip. <laughs> yeah, so first of all, like, the little intro, you know, who's Matt Ford when he's at home, you know, and I think the guests tend to write them themselves to promote their website or who they write for or whatever. Right. And Matt Ford, he's, he's saying, he's, and again, this, this was 2015, so, like, Matt Ford wasn't famous. They'd been trying to make him famous for ages. He'd pop up on Question Time once a year, and he'd share all the progress events, <laughs> but no one liked his comedy. So it's, Matt Ford is a comedian, comedy writer, radio presenter, and former political advisor for the Labour Party. He currently hosts a show in London titled The Political Party, which has attracted sellout crowds and guests such as George Galloway and Nigel Farage. Crowds of sellouts, and that is just his oh, guest list. Boy, boy. <laughs> but yeah, the preamble's boring as usual. And then, so over to you, Matt. Why haven't you listened to it? What's wrong with you? It's very, very Owen Smith, this. For years, <laughs> I thought Bowie was a weirdo. The first song of his I was ever aware of was Hello Space Boy, which only reinforced my belief his music was dreadful and a bit freaky. I think in some way I was a bit scared like... of him. When he gets around to reviewing the album, does every paragraph conclude with brackets, no homo? Oh my Near god, enough. I'm Near looking enough. at this next <laughs> fucking paragraph. <laughs> yeah, it was years later that I had this view, the view being Bowie was a dreadful weirdo. I had this view challenged when I saw Steve Coogan's film, The Parole Officer. I love... <laughs> Just going to interject here in poor quality to say I've seen The Parole Officer and it's shit. I love the rousing ending set to Heroes. I'd heard the song in passing before, but this is the first time it had grabbed me and the first time I'd felt the uplifting power of David Bowie's music. Like a fool, I presumed it was the only non-weird song he'd done and had no desire to visit his back. This is a man with, like, no curiosity about anything ever. Probably a while. very weird song An attention span of five seconds in either direction, just sort of wandering through life. This man does not appreciate the flippatronics at work in that song's guitar track. Otherwise, he would not be calling it non-weird. That song's, like, seven minutes long and has, I don't know, a very loose chorus. It was chords. probably just a chorus in Steve Coogan's film The Parole Officer. About five years after that, so he's not followed up on this song he liked for five years. About five years after that, I was in a taxi. And the veterans <laughs> on it, didn't they? The veterans from the X Factor or whatever it was. I heard changes for what I thought was the first time, but just can't have been. No way I could have got into the noughties and not heard that song before. I have too much pride to admit there's any chance of it. 
Again, the upbeat and sing-along nature of it jarred with my preconception of David Bowie as a bloke who made music for sci-fi fans. <laughs> Weird synth songs with screeching metallic sound effects. In it. I wish David <laughs> Bowie was like that. And then the final piece of the puzzle came together when I watched the television show Extras and Bowie sung the song Chubby Little Loser on there. I felt like he and was singing really directly to me, to me <laughs> about my life experiences. But the next, like, he basically goes on like, oh, no, actually, Bowie's kind of all right. And then you've now listened to it at least three times. What do you think? And this is incredible, this bit. It's like rockism.text. The best thing on this album is as good as British rock gets. After listening to it far more than three times this week, Changes is becoming one of my favorite songs of all time. The piano, drums, bass, guitar, and vocals all nestle effortlessly together. <laughs> that often happens on a good song. That's the yes. power of mixing. You can really hear the era in this album. It's got a nostalgic 70s crackle on it. Music doesn't sound like this anymore. <laughs> oh, boy. I'm constantly driven insane by fake music, remixes, and crap made on laptops. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So much of what makes the charts these days is just glorified ringtones. <laughs> what one does listen it think these ringtones and remixes start out as? <laughs> one, one listen of this album makes you realise how magical real music is. There's a proper musicians who can play instruments and care about the sound, the discipline of the note, who write heartfelt songs. The discipline not of the weird. note! Uh, <laughs> yeah, not the fucking The discipline weirdos. of the note, yeah. The passion comes through the speakers. Even a lot of guitar bands around now, like the Arctic Monkeys, <laughs> disappeared so far up their backsides that they're incapable of creating something as genuine as this album. <laughs> Shots fired. These rappers down at the Corn Exchange, you've seen them. You know, the rappers they have now. <laughs> <laughs> I guess... It's incredible. He, he's very much like a British rock purist, isn't he, uh, old Bordy? Like... He's a big Oasis man. I mean, I'm a big Oasis man, but but, but they're just one of many things I enjoy. And I imagine, like, when the Arctic Monkeys got a bit of money and were like, oh, God, fuck's just, like, sounding like a British band anymore. We're going to go off to America and just live out our Queens of the Stone Age fantasy. Like, (laughs) I think, I reckon that was a real betrayal for him. I think he was like, that's the coca colonization that that big Damon Albarn warned us about. (laughs) I I like these bands, but for me, experimental is like Champagne Supernova, you know, as compared with Wonderwall. That's like the range, that's that's the palette he has. It's a little bit slower and it's like seven minutes. Whoa, that's basically prog rock. He's like yeah. pa- he's like Partridge. Not to constantly invoke Partridge, but when his mate Michael has a, an American friend, a friend who's into American stuff, and oh, yeah. Partridge gets really indignant, like, "Oh no, I'll have a pasty. Put it on the slate." He's like he's that he's that for rock. Do you think there's any other good bits in this Matt Ford piece? No, right? No, no. <laughs> it's not a very interesting. The rest of it, the incurious intro, and then the massive rant about basically hating all black music. It's kind <laughs> of the the standout bits of that one. The part where he says that the Stone Roses are the best band to have on for work because something about their melodies helps me be creative is a slight highlight towards the end. But <laughs> Wow, yeah, fair enough. I, I, I now we see know, that. I, I, he we know who that. to blame. Okay, let's do the worst fucking load of shit of all. Wu-Tang Clan ain't nothing to fuck with! 
Wu-Tang Clan ain't nothing to fuck with. Wu-Tang Clan ain't nothing to fuck with. There's no place to hide when I step inside the room. Dr. Doom, prepare for the boom. Bam! Oh man, I slam. Damn, I scream like Tarzan. I'll be tossing and forcing my style is awesome. I'm causing more family food than Richard Dawson. And the survey said you're dead. Baby flying guillotine chops off your fucking head. Mr. Who is that? Hey yo, the Who is back? Making niggas go boom David Aronovich reviews Enter the Wu-Tang 36 Chambers by the Wu-Tang Clan. White people. Speaking of white people, was this a formative album for you, Disso? Because it fucking was for me. Enter the Wu-Tang, yeah, fucking hey. I actually, I'm a, I'm a, I prefer, I'm from the school that prefers forever. Like, wow. I think that may just because I've heard Enter the Wu-Tang so much that it's like DNA now. I can't like, I don't even have to listen to it anymore. Forever. Is huge and it's sloppy yeah. and messy it's like and be far here too now. big. Yeah, it's basically like okay, I'll accept the analogy. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, it's you too know, big I and it's overlong like and it's be here now. yeah, yeah, no. There's a lot in that and there's some bangers. I'm, I'm an East Coast guy in general as opposed to mm. a West guy. So like, not not so much on the NWA it, side of the spectrum. <laughs> less Parliament Funkadelic, more that fucking gritty '93 sound. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm just oh. generally speaking more aligned towards. New York than California. Same with rock music. Well, you're like, more I can't of really deal underground with underground man than a dead man. Oh, absolutely. Well, the dead actually of the kind of California groups. I'm not as opposed to them as I'm not as naturally revulsed by them as I am by all that Laurel Canyon music, with fucking Jackson Brown and his Hush Puppies and all that shit. Mm, I quite like Jackson. Which is ironic. I'm a big Zappa fan, as everybody knows already. But he had a house in Laurel Canyon as well, so that's kind of funny. There's a Joni mm. Mitchell story where she where she was talking about being at his swimming pool and seeing some naked woman doing drugs or something. So that, <laughs> that was quite funny. <laughs> well, the idea, yeah, the idea of like all right. those hippies impinging on Zappa is pretty funny. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> the Velvet Underground and the Dead are two of my very favorite bands. I wouldn't want to. Fair play, fair play. I'm but, naturally attracted to places that are dark and rainy and fucking grim. Yeah, yeah. Well, being for me, from I Manchester feel like those. And... <laughs> Those two bands, they like have some similarities, north, uh, but then their similarities are just made more different by the East Coast, West Coast, like, right, right, right. like when the VU do an extended jam. Sometimes when the Dead do it, it can be really like blissful, but then when the VU do it, it's like crushing they're trying your to terrorize fucking skull. You. Yeah, yeah. They're, yeah. Like, they're like high on heroin driving that train. Let's approach the history of the Wu Tang. Oh my God, I haven't even begun to read this terrible preamble yet. <laughs> Let's get on now to what David Aronovich thinks about the Wu-Tang Clan. So, he listened to it at least three times as stipulated by the Ram Album Club rules. So, the first thing you need to know, Aronovich says, is that I watched the first series of The Wire with subtitles on. So just already starting well, like, just like, I can't understand those coloreds. (laughs) But only later, when I found out that Idris Elba was English, did I comprehend why his was the only gangster gangster accent I understood. You know, those accents that you get if you're involved in uh, organised crime. (laughs) If, If you see any african-american speaking ebonics you better call up the fbi's rico division whatever <laughs> invest 
instigates it's organized crime. It's only about crime. three years ago, he was threatening to sue people on Twitter for calling him a dinner party racist. There's <laughs> 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 a that... wealth of evidence out there, even on like throwaway music blogs. In the first sentence of this, it's just like the first thing you need to know is that I'm racist. Is that I'm a dinner party racist. The second, <laughs> the second thing is that in any case, I am famous among family and friends for being the absolute worst. <laughs> no, that's not what he says. For not being able to work out what lyrics are. For two decades, for example, I thought that Manfred Mann's Pretty Flamingo frightened all the neighbourhood. That's gone over my head, that one. I don't um, know that so song, whatever. The first words sung, quote-unquote, sung on this album by these rap singers. Let me just stop almost... you there, David. That's called rapping. <laughs> the first words, quote-unquote, sung on this album were almost the last that I managed unaided. And to remind you, they are motherfucking ruckus, bring the motherfucking ruckus, bring the motherfucking ruckus, bring the mother, bring the motherfucking ruckus, Bring the motherfucking rockers. Which in songwriting I... we know as a chorus. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like <laughs> that is that has got to be the first time that anyone has had like a repetitive section in a song. He's you know? channeling the exact energy, isn't he? Of could you do stupid memes like, oh, in the sixties lyrics sounded like this, something halfway profound sounding by the Beatles. But now they sound like this. And it was definitely like, <laughs> like, the chorus, playground. Of, the chorus of that pussy or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, uh, in, in 1993, 22 years before I'm writing this review, they sound like this. He says, I caught lyrics rhyming gonorrhea and diarrhea. <laughs> it's not an ODB man. It's, it's from on shame Shay... on an N word. Yes, indeed. <laughs> I'm the one who described can never spell it. diarrhea. Diarrhea is like the most difficult word to spell. It's well, ODB. It was ODB. The Americans spell it without the O as well. Oh, They've right. Well, that's going to make it even like more o fucking it. confusing. Anyway. But having two spellings of it just makes it more of a minefield for like us. aluminum. Thanks, fucking Yanks. Coca colonization at it again. Anyway, <laughs> and, you know, and, and you know, you got to give it to Damon Albarn. I, I have to say, like the preponderance of American popular culture in British public life is easily the worst act of imperialism that the United States have ever perpetrated against another country. Damon Albarn started working with my favorite rappers after that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you've got all of all of them on uh, on the Gorillas records and stuff, haven't you? Got the late great Doom. Fair play. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Anyway, I caught li- <laughs> lyrics rhyming gonorrhea and diarrhea and listened to the preamble to Method Man, in which, among other threats to a person whose ident- identity I didn't quite catch. One comma of the clan, he's butchered the fucking syntax here, of the clan, one of the clan offered to sew your asshole closed and keep feeding you and feeding you and feeding you. Ultimate, like, here we go, massive cunt voice. Just for having an opinion. (laughs) (laughs) Which isn't quite Sergeant Pepper. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but like... if you think about it, like, Friday the 13th isn't Schindler's List. <laughs> In I mean, fact, what the fuck is that comparison meant to mean? One yeah. thing is not the other. Here's some nerd Pee-wee shit. Pee-wee Herman comedy is not fucking 
Cannibal Holocaust. Carry on. You're grinding some loud verdes. Yeah, excuse me a minute. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. So, in fact, downloading the Wu-Tang Clan on iTunes, Quintup, Quintup, how do you say that word? Quintup, Quintup, I'm never going to... I would say Quintuple, but I've never said it out loud particularly. Exactly, I've never said that shit out loud. On iTunes... Yeah. Quintupled the number of songs on my library marked as explicit. You fucking nerd. What, 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 what were the songs he had that were marked as explicit? That's all I want to know. Like, there's probably only one or two of them, basically. Let me think. That. Because, like, a lot of the classic rock albums I have where, like, they sneak an F word in, like, no one even fucking noticed because, like, Tipper Gore wasn't around at that point or whatever. So there's a, you know, just get an F word in there and you're like, whoa. The famous uh, like, uh, Louie Louie story where they obviously investigated the lyrics for the FBI for months and months and completely missed the fact that the drummer drops his stick 53 seconds in and yells, fuck. And you can hear it really <laughs> audibly if you know what you're listening yeah. for. Well, that was the days of the witch hunt, whereas post-McCarthyism, just like every fucking drugged-out hippie was just putting mad shit on their albums, so there was just, <laughs> it was just no regulation for a while. So it could be that he's got a bunch of, you know, 60s rock albums that contain profanity, but I'd, I'll say late 60s, early 70s. What did he say was his favourites? Abraxas, but... Santana, White Album, and Bringing It All Back Home. I can't imagine there's much swearing in any of those. No, I don't think so. I think Abraxas. I don't know if that album has, like, Spanish-language lyrics on it. Imagine say, the Spanish-language not... are all just like, fuck a fuck a cunt, cunt, fuck a cunt. <laughs> Explicit Spanish marketed for, like, coffee shop rockers. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm not familiar with the works of Santana very much at all. I, that one album he did with Alice Coltrane rips. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I mean he's a great guitarist, but yeah, not 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 necessarily my cup of tea as an albums artist, I guess. Right. But he doesn't have like the MC5 kick out the jams or anything in his his catalog on iTunes. But at least I can cite the names of songs like Wu Tang Clan ain't nothing to fuck with, which I think he spelt wrong because. There are others on this album, but I cannot repeat. Ah, why would that be? He says, there's a repeated word that I may not say. Others can say it, but I can't. (laughs) And if I use the usual hypocritical convention for this thing, then in that case, I might as well say it. It's It's just like builds up to the point where he's just like storming around his study, like yelling the N word, like, I can say it in here. In the privacy of my own home, and none of you can stop me! <laughs> in fact, I began to suspect Ruth and Martin's album club of a plot to get me no platform at all British universities. <laughs> he only previously had two songs in his library marked as explicit, but they were both by Screwdriver. <laughs> 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 it's incredible. He's gone. He's gone through this whole paragraph of like people imagining him, imagining people persecuting him in his head because he wants to say the N word. Yeah. Whoa, it's, West. It's, 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 it's a new level of making up guys to get mad at them. He's, <laughs> he, he believes that he like fucking David Aranovich, the high-profile Times columnist, is like the, the, the public enemy, the victim of, of, of the world. You know. <laughs> 
He's like, they're trying to deceive me into using a certain word. It's just like when I got sold those fake leather jackets all over again. I'm going to go ahead and say that nobody else on the planet has ever had this reaction to, like, listening to a Wu-Tang Clan album <laughs> once. <laughs> well, it let's really just... is quite revealing. Let's hear his appraisal of the music. Oh, my goodness. The, yes, the beat, this is good. of course, is constant. Yes. Very, it's not J Electronica. Of course there's a fucking beat. Like, this is the 90s. The beat is constant. <laughs> Very loud. The beat is constant. The chaos, the hostility, and the murder. Perpetual. <laughs> Very loud, and the words often yelled. Yeah. So that I had to listen to no more than four tracks at a go to avoid getting a headache. Do people are people serious Bell-end. when they say that kind of thing, or is it just kind of one of those florid, stupid metaphors? What? I have no idea. I don't understand, man. Like, do people actually get mad at hearing nails on a chalkboard? I don't, but I'm That's willing to believe unpleasant. that some people can. I don't know. I, yeah, I mean, there's certain there's, sounds. Can I... you really get a headache from listening to music? Maybe you can. I don't well, know. Well, there's certain sounds. It sounds I like find a delicate flower, anyway. Really unpleasant, but the Wu Tang Clan, a, a kind of dusty, crackly beat with ghostly piano yeah, from a samurai film. Hey, loop with very... some nice, nice sound effects. And That's very pleasant swooping. to me. He even admits there we go. running behind the words and the smash beat. The smash beat? A... Look, man, he, he... this is Aronovich terminology. Is a subtle and melodic piano, now vaguely classical, now jazzy. Be it's the, sample uh, from Kung Fu and Samurai. the black film. and tan fantasy sample, I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> this has the effect of suggesting that the anger of the words is not the only emotion being evoked. This Oy. undertow is intriguing, he says in a separate paragraph, just for that one thing. Like, but he's like, but what if there's if these people are not single-minded rage monsters out to kill me, David Aronovich? Very instructive next paragraph, actually. So I cheated. It was obvious that the words were what really mattered, and since I couldn't hear them, I'd have to read them. Even then, some of the lyrics made no sense to me. But some of it did, and some of it was brilliant. Take this passage, for example, and there were many more. And then he quotes from, uh, no question, it was weed, but crack. He quotes from casuals, everything around. Cracks and weed, the combination made my eyes bleed. No question, I will flow off and try to get the door, etc. And he, <laughs> this is the times they are a-changing in a world where hope has gone. Don't, don't laugh. It could be T.S. Eliot. Like, <laughs> the writer of this is an artist, but I had to read it to get it. <laughs> now, there's Would a you... lot going on here. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Go in. What, what, what do you think? I mean, what is going through his head? That's, that's, this is, that's not, again, like you were saying with the previous one, that's not a bad analysis, but it's so intensely entry level. That it just shows you what happens when someone who's previously not deigned to investigate anything has just finally decided to peek and like the immediately obvious things to everyone else is, oh yeah, that is, water is wet after all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just like, it just appears to be these angry men shouting unintelligibly over a smash beat about bling and bitches. Who knew that when you dropped? Your pre-assumption of uninterested contempt, and it actually investigated something that it might yield something. Yeah, well, if he like listens to "Cream," is an intensely melancholy song, and he's even identified like earlier on in the review the kind of musical feel it has with the piano part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Wendy Reed is that? No, that's that's um after after laughter come tears. 
Sorry, wrong song. That's not even the sample isn't so much in contrast to the lyrics on that it one. It complements them the pretty well. Yeah, because it's a really it's like a mournful melancholy song, and song. And about exactly. Wistful past experiences. But the other thing that I found interesting was the idea that reading the lyrics would be cheating somehow. Like you have to, yeah, you yeah. have to get everything from it from a superficial glance, as opposed. To, you're allowed to read around things. You're allowed to do your own research if you want to. You'd think a journalist yeah. would know that. It's kind of like the Pauline Kael attitude to film criticism, which is like, there's no point watching a film more than once, because if it doesn't hit you on the first time, it's not doing its job for a general audience. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that is like that, but I kind of like that. <laughs> well, this is more well, like you know, kinda, to each their is... own. More like an assumption that everything has to be kind of spoon-fed to you on the first... I don't know. His conclusion, anyway, he's asked if he would listen to it again. He says, no point, but I might... We're back to by the end. But I might go to see them perform. He, like, leaves... That's a funny <laughs> he, image to he me. He leaves the Wu-Tang <laughs> carrying this stack of leather jackets sold to him personally by members of the Wu-Tang clan <laughs> who spotted killer! a rube from a Master mile killer! off. Yeah, Master Fucking <laughs> 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 So he's just got a stack of leather jackets in his arms, like, walking out, like, his wallet empty because he's voluntarily given him everything in it. <laughs> <laughs> a mark out of ten, he's asked. That would be silly, wouldn't it? In the motherfucking circumstances. I don't understand. Like motherfucking. Sorry, there's, there's a, yeah, the G isn't there. No, yeah, your rendering wasn't the problem. <laughs> I just don't understand <laughs> why you would say that. Like, what? What is that? <laughs> Weird he's, ultimate he's hedge at the end. Like, I don't want to appear. Making a joke. I don't want to appear not... like I've learned anything. I'm not a gangster, you know, I just appreciated this music because I'm open-minded, not at all racist. <laughs> but uh, to reiterate, I am a white middle-class man who is not involved in organized crime. Just want to make that <laughs> As of last checking a few hours ago, Aero was busy on Twitter giving out positive reviews to some terrible anti-trans book that contains within it an anti-Semitic conspiracy theory against Soros, Pritzker, and various other... Oh, big farmers transing the youth, and it's like <laughs> three wealthy three... Jews are funding right. the trans yeah. rights movement. <laughs> uh, yeah, and Mr. Conspiracy Theories didn't spot that somehow. Probably like yeah, we did he, and agreed with he it. He probably didn't bother like reading around it. <laughs> Before he didn't bother reading it. I mean, his columns are kind of, like, pre-written. It was funny, actually. What did he say? Like, a man with testicles gets off the fence. And it's just like, what, you Wait. weren't already massively fucking transphobic? Like, I just assumed... Again, the impulse to make a fuck... ...has the most reactionary conceivable position on absolutely fucking everything. Fucking rictus grin joke that isn't funny. Well, the, that the, the, was probably what he was going for. We cannot be serious. We have to throw in a fucking pun, even in circumstances that's not funny, because otherwise we might be being we might be accused of being too po-faced yeah. or something. You need the plausible deniability, so you can be like, "Oh, it was a humorous piece." It was an observer so piece. <laughs>
two of these reviews open. One of them is Paul War Review Scott 4 by Scott Walker. I don't think we should look at that one in any depth because Paul War is like the most boring cunt in the world. I don't even know who that is, really. I've seen his bald face. Well, we were always asking what he's good for. Absolutely <laughs> nothing. Do we want to read Jane Merritt? No. Johnny Cash live at Folsom no, Prison. No, 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 you've got to do either Massey on Nevermind or Tom Watson on Slow Train Coming. Oh, fuck it. Let's head down to the secret Lock Drench wank bunker and do Tom Watson then. Fucking hell. I think that's the highlights or lowlights <laughs> of this whole shit. There's a few All good... Right. There's some good people on here on this blog that they've asked, as you alluded to before, the centrist leftist truce broke. And I just want to say, actually, before we go any further... Big shout, rest in peace to our friend Dawn Foster, man. She's on here. Yeah, she, absolutely. She, yeah. um, she's on here, actually, and I saw her before doing the soundtrack to The Harder They Come, the reggae record, and you read that, and she's never heard it before just because she hadn't happened to, and just vibes with it immediately. And I really like that short piece just because yeah. it, it shows really how open she was to things. And just got work a good presence. We go through it without embarrassing herself and being like, by the way, I'm white. <laughs> like, uh, like David Aronovich well, no, and that, Co. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But no, that no, was just. Ter- it's terrible about spirit's Dawn, man. really in that Absolutely piece, terrible. and we're going to miss her very much. So, yeah, just yeah. shout to Dawn, man. Give him hell down there. When I was talking at the start about people who were not centrist, who contributed to Ruth and Martin's album club, I deliberately avoided mentioning Dawn because I thought it didn't merit being thrown in as yeah, a, yeah, as yeah. an aside at the start. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I thought I'd probably come on to it, and I thought she'd probably appreciate us bringing her up in the context of raising hell with these assholes <laughs> once more. <Yes>. So, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Well, what so, I said on raising Twitter, the glass, man. I met Dawn a few times, I didn't know her well or anything, but... What I've always respected about her was that she believed what she believed, was a socialist, and was uncompromising about it. When it became de rigueur for every public-facing leftist to do stupid shit like say, oh, Jeremy Corbyn should resign, he needs to consider his position, oh, we all support a second referendum now... She never did that shit. She didn't succumb never went to that along pressure with it. to melt. Yeah, exactly. And that is a very commendable thing. So maximum love and respect to a singularly uncompromising voice in British politics and somebody who used that voice in service of the socialist values that we hold dear. One of ours. Rest easy. Mm. Now let's get back to dunking on fucking nerds. <laughs> it's what she would have wanted, genuinely. So after the tragic premature death of Dawn Foster, a lot of people were rightly angry at The Guardian, who had not employed her for a while at the time of her passing, and they were also angry at the person who The Guardian had sacked her for disrespecting in print. This is Tom Watson, the guy who Dawn wrote a piece. Uh, the nemesis. Off absolute toad of a man yeah like, tom watson is considered so beyond reproach that they bought her out the rest of her contract and said like don't write anymore we'll pay yeah. you you cannot insult tom watson someone yeah, well, it's basically someone like, literally the, described it as them paying one of their best writers not to write which is exactly yes. what they did that's exactly what they <laughs> that, did. yeah i think someone else may have said that but i, I certainly t- 
tweeted that. It's insane. It shows that like ideology trumps financial concerns in a lot of cases. <laughs> like they were prepared to just keep funneling money to a writer to keep her from doing anything. It puts arguments about meritocracy in a funny light. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Anyway, yeah. fuck Tom Watson. Long live Dawn Foster. <laughs> to find the picture of David Aranovich dressed as a rapper that Simon Hedges used to use. Uh, That's what I was saying. I can't find it, but that would be the, if I can, it would be the perfect episode of that. A great Ruth and Martin's album club would be like, Simon Hedges reviews DMX. <laughs> you do Aranovich with the face of Ali G. No, no, not the, I mean, sorry, the face of Aranovich in the Ali G yellow costume. Man, are we going to declare an official restart point and just cut all of this bullshit out? Because I sound like a fucking cretin. I don't know, man. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I think some of it may, may be usable. Tom Watson is on this blog having reviewed, or having never heard, but hearing for the first time, the album Slow Train Coming by Bob Dylan. Now, yeah. I personally am mainly... Au fait with Bob Dylan as a radio DJ because I'm that kind of insufferable hipster. I don't really know a lot of his music, so maybe Jack, you want to give us some preamble on Slow Train Coming? Well, Slow Train Coming is the first record of Bob Dylan's gospel period. Uh-huh. Somebody on his 1978 tour threw a cross, a crucifix, up onto the stage, and Bob picked it up and saw it as a kind of sign from God. And from thereafter, he believed in our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. It would be better if someone in the audience had shouted, Jesus! (laughs) Bob Dylan joke there. I mentioned before, I think that there's a reason he continues to be angry at being called Judas at one point by one random leftist folky from Manchester (laughs) 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 he's probably dead now (laughs) Bob's probably outlived him but he's still cursing the evil motherfucker he's still mad about that when Bob said those evil motherfuckers can rot in hell he probably like had a private investigator look into the guy who called him when did he say that in 2012 holy shit in an interview of Rolling Stone magazine, they said, what do, you, what do you say of people who accuse you of being a plagiarist? And Bob, <laughs> D- and Bob Dylan says, well, that's just like when people call me Judas. And for what? For the crime of playing an electric guitar? <laughs> These people, they compared me to the man who sold our Lord and Savior down the river. I These love evil the motherfuckers. These evil motherfuckers can rot in hell. (laughs) Oh, you bad boy. He's still angry about that. Yeah, that was 2012. Uh, So Dylan... Time and and Nobel Prizes could not tame the 
raging with him. So Dylan went to Muscle Shoals Studios in Alabama. A lot of amazing records were cut to mm-hmm. record with the legendary producer Jerry 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 Wexler. While he was there, Dylan tried to convert Jerry Wexler to evangelical Christianity, uh, oh. to which. Jerry Wexler said, Bob, look, I'm an atheist Jew. It's Stop not, with the Christian it. thing, Bob. <laughs> it's not Bob was probably like, hey, man, I'm a Jew too. <laughs> but, um, I'm, a, I'm a Jew uh, for Jesus. Yeah, well, he literally is a, like a messianic Jew. He did actually manage to convert Jim Keltner, the, the drummer. The two of them got on the God train together. But anyway, yeah, they put together a crack band of like Muscle Shoals session musicians, Jim Keltner, got Mark Knopfler in to play guitar. And they put out this record, which features, I mean, one pretty famous Dylan song at least, Gotta Serve Somebody. It's not one of my favourite Dylan records. I mean, what it is, is it's a good kind of Muscle Shoals sounding record. Right. It's like it has the sound of good gospel music, which is not necessarily my favourite set of Bob Dylan songs. Fair dues are not of interest somewhat hitherto. Yeah, so he may even be coming from a similar kind of place, but what 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 does this fucking asshole Tom Watson... I he went to he the wrong doesn't actually... Yet. Yeah, he turns it over to Nick Cave, who says, I like this record. Of course he great. does. Well, that's because okay. Nick Cave, like, used to be, like, <laughs> this mad, okay. like, Christian bastard. I mean, <laughs> look, I'm not saying anyone who's a Christian is mad, but Nick Cave is, absolutely. I only enjoy Nick Cave in the 1990s, which, I don't know, probably... If you know me, you know I have a 1990s frame bias, and anyway but like murder ballads are you into I that? literally yeah i love that record yeah, like, yeah I, great I, I come into him like at the very end of the actually as the band gets i like some of the 80s stuff i like tupelo a very great deal but the band in that era is noisy as fuck and it's good yeah. it's one thing and then by the end of the 80s the kind of noise edges out and it becomes more controlled explosions and you get a lot more kind of piano balladry and kind of yeah. Weird European influences and stuff. And that's <laughs> that the kind of that's mad the, European shit. <laughs> that's the era that I fuck with. Like starting with like, is it the Good Son? Is in nineteen ninety, I think, and then going through to about, down, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. to about the first greatest hits record. What's the one after Murder Ballads called? Boatman's Call. Boatman's Call. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. After the Boatman's Call, the first best of comes out, and that's the kind of time yeah. period that I fuck with. I tried to get into them, and like the I had bought the next couple of records, but I just I think my taste is quite phase based and I'd completely moved on I saw him in Glasgow in about 2004 and it was very boring so um, it was disappointing (laughs) I like the next couple of albums after that, but there is a point where it sort of falls off a bit for me, and then it's just like sporadic bits here and there, you know. But he did have a—he had a really good sort of basically, pretty much the length of the nineties was a really good streak for him. Yes, yeah, they're they're mostly different. It's not like the same album again and again either. Yeah, I find like as it got into the two thousands, like the piano ballad stuff really took precedent, and it Mm. also to the extent he he had to kind of establish a whole separate band to do rowdy stuff at one point. Yeah, rough and rowdy stuff. Right, exactly. Yeah, I like Grinder Man. I like Mm -hmm. the Lazarus Dig album, which sounds a lot like Grinder Man. Uh, Right, right. And I actually think the three or four most recent records actually have been really strong. I haven't listened to them to be fair, which is no diss. I just haven't got round to it or whatever <laughs> which is or, a, in fact it's very diss well yeah See? true <laughs> <laughs> but with a lot Tom. of artists man i'm just like it's not a slight on them i haven't been bothered to check it out re- in recent years i don't know i'd get on board with an artist 
I move very quickly, get really hyped up about an album, and then they release the next one, and I'm like, I'm already gone on to something else, man. Yeah. Flaming what? Lips was a good example of that. Like, I fucking vibed mm. off the soft bulletin, and then they put out Yoshimi, and I was like, this oh, is Oh, they just put out piss, so much, man. like, fucking ridiculous bollocks. Though. I like, haven't listened like, to them in hey, this... we've got a new EP inside a marijuana-flavoured gummy skull. <laughs> Shut the I fuck would have up. that. I would buy that. I would eat that. <laughs> We've done a record as Miley Cyrus's backing band. I mean, respect to Miley Cyrus. I downloaded that album. one. I just didn't listen to it. <laughs> yeah, it was rubbish. I, I did. Tr- <laughs> oh, okay. I did listen Fair to it, but Fair there are a few good tracks. You know, it could have been, but it was like yeah, a twenty-track no, album. I haven't listened real... to them in this century. But again, Post-CD I think they're 90s records. <laughs> it's like, oh, why put 10 good tracks on an album when we could put 20 of wildly varying quality? On a um, USB inside a marijuana yeah. gummy skull. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Fair play. But, Not many people yes. doing that, though. So we Nick should go back Cave to Tom fucking Watson on the, Bob Dylan. Uh, Slow Train Coming is his all-time favourite album. A great record full of mean-spirited spirituality. Well, Nick Cave is, like, very articulate and That's can a great talk, talk well about music. And Dylan's spirituality is, like, so mean-spirited. Like, my favourite... The like... nastiest Christian album I've ever come across. I wonder... He must have heard the Leuven Brothers, though. <laughs> that is some pretty uh, That's dark some dark stuff. shit. Yeah, like... yeah, yeah. But I, I'm, I mean, I'll like... defer to Nick Cave on this. I do agree with what he's saying here about Dylan's gospel era. It's very, like, righteous. It's very judgmental. He's pointing fingers at everyone. Is he quite Old Testament with it, then? Oh, big time, you know. Uh, In fact, there was a big bootleg series volume that came out a few years ago of Dylan recordings from the gospel era, and they did not include any of his famous on-stage rants, which was just like, <laughs> well, you know, Iran has got the bomb and they plan to use it to turn all of us gay! And, like, <laughs> not so much of that is in the lyrics of his songs. There is one, the song Slow Train Coming, and there's another one as well that kind of do try and set a geopolitical scene in their lyrics. But for the most part, he's just hitting out with the non-believers, you know? Just right. the, the evil motherfuckers who don't believe in Jesus Christ, which I guess he was like a, a year prior to making this album. Two of my favourite... Well, my favourite songs from the Dylan Gospel era are like the songs that are actually good and that you could enjoy regardless of context. Just like Every Grain of Sand. It's a beautiful Bob Dylan song. Would have been whatever era he wrote it in. Caribbean Wind as well. <laughs> Lenny Bruce would be hilariously dumb, uh, whatever he wrote it in. But my favourite, my absolute favourite are the songs like Property of Jesus or <laughs> I Ain't Gonna Go to Hell for Anybody, which are just like these like swivel-eyed religious diatribes. Yeah, I Ain't Gonna Go to Hell for Anybody is awesome because like the lyrics are all just like, I can manipulate people as well as anybody, like, you know, hold them and fold them, like all these little lines that are just like about how Bob could be like a sinner and he's in fact very good at sin probably better than you but uh he doesn't because he's got a higher purpose and it's such like self-righteous like nasty finger pointing uh, bob dylan's gonna become the joker yeah 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 (laughs) so so, i mean those are my favorite tracks like property of jesus is like saying well i i I, Bob Dylan, and the property of Jesus. And if you have not given your life to Jesus like I have, you have a heart of stone. 
Uh, and the lyrics are all just like, people make fun of the devout man. You know, they point, they laugh at him. They, people all say that he's called, he's Judas and hasn't made a great album since Blood on the Tracks. Like, the lyrics are so much just like, people have wronged me to the verses and then when he comes in with that but he's the prop he being bob dylan he's the property of jesus resent him to the bone you got something better you got a heart of stone and it's like the you got something better is so like sneering and sarcastic it's just like oh well i will stick with my jesus thank you very much while you evil motherfuckers can keep playing acoustic guitars and moaning <laughs> going and, through my bins and another thing please don't put in the music press that i got mad <laughs> had to interject in bad quality here to say that there's this great story of at one of bob's religious shows somebody in the audience shouted out like rock and roll man play some rock and roll and bob was like you want to hear rock and roll where you can go and see kiss and rock and roll your way down to the pit. If we're talking about like Dylan's gospel lyrics, like there, there's an interesting thing that Tom Watson, I almost said Tom Foster. Wom Tatson. <laughs> Tom Foster, sadly not with us today. That sounds like he's dead. I'll say, I'll, say, I'll say that again. I just did the image search for Aronovich, but I just put the surname in and forgot to put David. And like the whole top row is like five books from like you know, booksellers and eBay, and the yeah. book is called Santa Claus Conquers the Homophobes. Right. <laughs> by Robert Devereaux. I can't see the connection at all. <laughs> the last one's called Robert London is a Devereux. Forest by someone else. I don't know what, <laughs> what the fuck any of these books have got to do with the name Aronovich, but... <laughs> London is a Forest, politics... Oh, oh he did Rivers of London by Ben Aronovich, which I think is his brother. But, like, is I don't he... know who Robert Devereaux is. <laughs> Santa Claus Conquers a... the Homophobes. Rings a bell. <laughs> it's extremely funny, anyway. The cover, <laughs> da- the cover Arono... is amazing in that kind of David Aronovich way. puts out a new book about seeing through the superstitious nonsense and allying themselves with right-wing people at the Times called uh, The Homophobes Conquer Santa Claus. Anyway, let's let Tom Watson take us back to the 70s. This is fucking crazy. Sorry, yeah, go when, ahead. When Slow Train Coming was released, I was more into The Clash. Mm-mm. There you go, there's that. Oh, yeah, you know me, I'm a, I was a fucking punk. I Authentic. hate that shit. He was into The Clash, The Jam, and then Two Tone. A Christian rock album by a folky from the pre-Pistols Dark Ages was last on the listening list of a 12-year-old in the West Midlands. I mean, fair um, play. <laughs> I wouldn't listen to Bob Dylan when I was 12 neither but it's not a Christian rock album it's a it's a gospel album anyway every week there was a new single by a punk band then new wave and then two tone music was real and gritty not <laughs> real refle- music Claxton. real music real music not the reflective musings of an early midlife crisis i remember the older types in the nme being horrified by it too also yes. records were expensive and very exciting they were rationed and no one from the amusement arcade in the horse fair in kidderminster would be seen dead with dylan vinyl You've now listened to it three times. What do you think? 
music is very important to me and i listen to all kinds all the time now i know oh, that no. tom, i know that tom watson is a genuine music fan there so it's baffling that he's trying as hard as possible to sound like he's just pretending to like music <laughs> i just read the next line and it turns out he's exactly the same kind of hipster prick as i am <laughs> <laughs> I love Six Music for its eclectic nature, and Bob Dylan did a fantastic stint as a guest DJ playing old radio tunes. As a, la- <laughs> as a latter-day lover of mid-70s Bob, the album was listenable and interesting, mostly because of the slick production and Mark Knopfler carries some average Dylan songs. Oof. I had no idea Knopfler collaborated on the album and was thrown to hear his unmistakable guitar sound. It immediately took me to die straight his first album which is infinitely better than slow train coming for a punk from the west midlands you're praising <laughs> dire straits his first album i know <laughs> phony. That's, that's interesting yeah you wonder big how much rock man he's like yeah no you know i was too busy listening to the clash and the jam and screwdriver to be out there with the soppy folkies playing christian rock and it's like dire straits dire straits is music is like oh man don't get me started I like Dire Straits, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan, but it's uh, it, it's very like... That's why I'm not going to get started. Lots of people I, <laughs> I don't want to offend like Dire Straits. Like. Oh, you've not, you're not going to offend me, I don't think. You've, I've only got into them recently, but it's very yeah, no, no, like... Not you primarily, it's alright. <laughs> um... Fuck this bit, man. I guess that fits in with, with the image, though. Their first album is their one that is kind of punkiest. I'm not saying it is actually punk, yeah, but it's yeah. more... It's, it's the more rowdiest. Like, it's more like kind of stripped down rock. It is the if you're trying to prove your punk credentials and you are allowed sure, to yeah, buy yeah. one it's Dire the... Straits album. It's the first one, but I like the it's stuff. It's the less Patrick like... Bateman end of Dire Straits. <laughs> yeah, I like the stuff that they did that's just like super slick, intricate, like 80s production and half the E Street band playing on it and just kind of like massive guitar solos and 14 minute tunes. Like that's the Dire Straits I'm into. So I, I think they, they I've, I think they got better as they got more like stadium rock personally but maybe uh tom mr punk watson <laughs> doesn't see eye to eye with me on that um, yeah no he'll have you for that <laughs> tom, on, this is the next bit this bit's interesting to me lyrically it's clunkily religious and sometimes political in a lazy lefty way yeah slow train the song is a good example that's which yeah, i so looked up get... that song and it's interesting because I, I don't know what he can be do you know this song this is one that you can do a i slow do yeah this is the one where i was saying bob is trying to set a bit of a geopolitical scene in certain lines he's trying to kind of talk about what he sees in the world even though there's a bunch of stuff on here just like i had a woman down in alabama (laughs) she was a backwards girl (laughs) but she sure was realistic (laughs) that's what i look for in my backwards girls man a sense of realism all that foreign oil controlling American soil. Ooh. Look around you. It's just bound to make you embarrassed. Sheiks walking around like kings, wearing fancy jewels and nose rings, despite hmm. deciding American America's future from Amsterdam and to Paris. Is this like what Tom Watson sees as like the lazy left? This must be what he's referring to. Because this seems like more more like kind of almost Trumpian economic nationalism to me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is the kind of non-aligned anti-globalist thing. If you, if <laughs> the you, goddamn uh, shakes controlling American soil. <laughs> if you want to be head on about it, you could see people from either end of the spectrum taking that kind of 
isolationist positioning and like the anti-globalist whatever i guess yeah. that could be what he means i guess well, in, you the, know, in, the later, in the later you. verses you get people starving and thirsting grain elevators are bursting oh you know it costs more to store the food than it do to give it which just sounds like pretty solid political uh, analysis <laughs> to me. And like, I suspect that maybe like... Yeah, kind of, yeah, that sounds fine. You know, I got this image of Tom Watson listening to that bit and thinking, oh, it's cringe. It's cultural cringe that he feels when he, <laughs> Tom... when he hears to people suggesting that you could just feed the hungry. I mean, that's not, sophist- that's not sophisticated enough. The centrist Tom wouldn't... Watson's like, hunger? But that's a problem that I face when I'm wanting my daily coffee with extra butter in it. Oh, <laughs> Man, wasn't daily. He'd have multiple of those a day. That's some yeah. shit. That fucking bulletproof coffee, man. That's some demon <laughs> shit. I don't even know. <laughs> but like, I can get the real sense that a guy like Watson would cringe at like the straightforward lyrics about feeding the hungry because he would <laughs> sense the sort of sneering centrist guys in the playground. You know that? Remember that tweet that someone did about how centrism? Every easy problem they make it complicated, and everything that's fucking complicated they yeah, think Tom is easy. Gan. Was it Gan? Right, okay. Yeah. But yeah, that's a good example of that. <laughs> it's like, he, <laughs> he would definitely be like, oh, I can't, I can't just agree with this straightforward sentiment of an obviously good thing, because Twildun might not think it's fucking <laughs> centrist enough for him. Well, what else did he say? I'm just going to pour a cup of tea, but don't worry, I, have to, I don't have to go anywhere to do it, so Disso, you read the next paragraph. Where are we up to? Oh yeah, this it's is where Bob re- Dylan is always partly a reflection of the disillusionment of the 60s icon, lyrically. But this is where Bob Dylan is always worth a listen. He is artistically honest, even if his story of the Silver Cross is maybe too good to be true. This crisis of belief, very personal and heartfelt, as reflected in this album, then leads to older Bob and some more recent gems like Modern Times or World Gone Wrong. Yeah, that's a very random couple of albums. <laughs> it's like Modern Times and uh, uh, one of his uh, acoustic albums of folk covers from the 90s. I mean... Well gone wrong is good, but yeah, I, I, I don't know, it feels like Dylan's, uh, not Dylan, Watson's kind of picking at random there. He singles out Precious Angel as the song that sticks in his memory and has found its way onto a few of his playlists. What do you make of that? I can't think how that song goes. <laughs> not a memorable so that's, that's one. <laughs> bad bad uh, Dylan fandom of me. But, in the end, uh, this yeah. album is for the Dylan aficionados. Is Tom oh. Watson's conclusion? So maybe that's I guess why. I'm not a real maybe Bob that's why guy. you're not. Yeah, you're a fake Bob girl. <laughs> there are plenty more Dylan albums to get to know before I would recommend Slow Train Coming to those interested in the '70s Bob. <laughs> Try, Try blood, blood on the, on the tracks. tracks. Your desire. <laughs> Class, oh, thanks man. for these deep suggestions. Try Tom. blood on the tracks. Fucking a. Thank um, you, Tom Watson. Finally, thank you for allowing me to participate in a fascinating project, Ruth and Martin. He doesn't say Ruth and Martin, but that's who he's talking to here. It's forced me to think about music in more depth, which in itself was deeply pleasurable. <laughs> Just like when I listen to Drenge in the bunker. The most <laughs> pleasurable activity of all, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> I found Slow Train coming a little hard going and have tried to give it an, un- give an honest assessment whilst maintaining a healthy respect for the great man. Well, thank you, Tom, for that. If only you'd have done that, uh, maintained a healthy respect for the great man in your position as deputy labour leader. Fucking prick. All, All creators, creators deserve our reverence. Our reverence. Is a very interesting All line to Jeremy me. Corbyn's deserve our reverence, Tom, you fucking bastard. All Who creators is deserve our reverence politics? versus don't encourage them, Jeremy. 
the two great strains of artistic thought in our movie. Yeah. Well, God, I hope when Tom Watson bumped into Helen Lewis at the gym, they didn't get onto that contentious <sighs> topic. I mean, no, sorry, they didn't bump into each other at the gym. He fantasized. He just tweeted about, about that at like four a.m. <laughs> on his own. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Different. Different things. Um, you had to probably like change gyms. Yeah. But, well, one thing's for sure. Once we finish this, I'm going to go and listen to the song "Precious Angel" to see if Tom Watson has called it right. I you should record a little. Additional bonus track where you react in real time to Precious Angel. <laughs> That's actually a really good idea. But yeah, no, I did at one point have very high compatibility with Tom Watson on uh, Last FM. Oh yeah, let's Owned. check. Let's check with that. I've got to check what mine is right now. Baggy, baggy MP, last... isn't it? Yeah, 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 it's Baggy MP. My Last FM hasn't been like connected to a bunch of my devices in like a couple of years. So are you a vinyl head? No, I'm not. I buy CDs. But, uh, okay. <laughs> but the, no, that's a vinyl um, problem. Vinyl problem. No scrabbling. Yeah, exactly. What's Tom Watson but... been listening to? Tom Watson's been listening to the Dubliners sing "Come and Join the British Army," <laughs> <laughs> and, and the People's Own MP by Terence O'Neill and Cormac. No, that it's... I don't. Well, the song I, I don't know. I assume so, being the Dubliners. But the, he's yeah. not been listening <laughs> since uh, mid June, anyway, except for one Mavis Staples song. Oh. Uh, my compatibility is medium. We both listen to Joni Mitchell, Lou Reed, and Sly and the Family Stone. So, oh, well, so do go. I. The, Good taste. All, the three yeah. of us all hanging out together. <laughs> we should get Tom Watson on here to like defend his choices. He's listening to a lot of like political songs, actually. The People's Own MP. By yeah, Tarantino that's what I just saw. Yeah, yeah. The is people's that about, own MP. Is that another? Their names both seem very Irish. Is that another Irish Republican song? Like, Christy Moore, the Birmingham Six. Yeah, I'm guessing that that is an Irish Republican song. What the fuck? This then just guy before did that, Corbyn like that. Before that, it's like a pure load of uh, Britpop, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Supergrass, Paul Weller, Travis, Primal Scream. Then varies a little bit, a bit of. Uh, Brian Jonestown Massacre, he really flips the script from listening to solo Paul Weller, who listens to the Style Council, and Lou Reed and Sign the Family Stone, and Bob Dylan, and Joni Mitchell, and J.J. Cale, and several of my favourites, as you get further down the list. Oh, uh, there's a yeah. big Bob Dylan jack here. Oh, is there? Yeah, yeah. Did he, On uh... the 24th of May. I don't recognise any of the tracks, so I can't really... I mean, I, I know the titles... Classic oh, it's titles just like in there. 60s, mostly 60s classics. Plus, Gotta Serve Somebody from the album Slow Train Coming. So ah, there you cle- go. I'm surprised he didn't listen to Precious Angel. Clearly, time. he's lying about when he says at the end of this piece, Would you listen to it again? I'd listen to Precious Angel again. Fool. Clearly, you've been listening to other tracks as well, Tom Watson. So yeah, he's never listened you to heard it Precious here first. Angel. But he's bumping, got us. He's playing other tracks from Slow Train coming, that motherfucker. Yeah. Now, this is all basically like Dylan Greatest Hits stuff, apart from Goodbye Jimmy Reed off the latest album, which I reckon he's listening to because it was on one of Obama's like mid year playlists. (laughs) I saw a good tweet today that was like. (laughs) Can you opt out of being on one of Obama's playlists?
It's tech, it's exciting, it's young people, it's crowdsourcing.